Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 10.01 a.m. Pacific Daylight Time. It is, God, the 30th day of October, 2023. Tomorrow's Halloween. And what else is it? That's right. It's the anniversary of the white paper release. Boo. Scared the living crap out of everybody that needed to have the living crap scared out of them. Honestly, it's just it couldn't have been a better time for the white paper for Bitcoin to actually drop, we don't really talk about it. The fact that the day that was chosen was Halloween. And, you know, even if it's not, you know, Halloween is kind of like more like an American, you know, hol- well, it's not even a holiday, but a celebration. However, Halloween itself, it goes back into antiquity, y'all. I mean, we're talking like, you know, right after Halloween, we're going to have Dia de, Dia de los Muertos, you know, in for Latin America. And all these things are connected and they all go back to antiquity. And I have to ask myself all the time of all days that could have been chosen. Why was it October 31st that Satoshi Nakamoto decided to drop the white paper? I believe that there was a very good reason for it. And I, I honestly, October or uh, Halloween and uh, obviously Dia de los Muertos, it's all about, it's kind of about death. And death in and of itself sounds bad. It's not. Like if somebody, if you ever get your, you know, tarot cards read for you or something like that, and you get the death card and you're in the stack, that's actually a good thing because it means change. It doesn't mean that you're going to die It just means the end of something and the beginning of another. I think that that's why October 31st was chosen for the drop of the white paper because enough was enough. We cannot let these people handle money anymore. They're irresponsible, they're immature, and they're desperately, for whatever reason, trying to get us all killed. I I don't know why. I honestly... Wouldn't you rather go fishing or take a hike or something? I mean, what is the psychopathy around utter, sheer, yet neglectful control of the world's population? I don't know. Screw them all. This is episode 816 of Bitcoin. And let's just get right into this one because... Well, we talked about whether or not Bukele was going to run again for president and some of the issues surrounding it. Well, Cointelegraph tells us that indeed, Salvadoran pro-Bitcoin president Nayib Bukele has launched the re-election bid. This is written by Braden Lindria, 
And again, it's Cointelegraph. Let's get into it. Salvadoran President Nayib Bukele has filed paperwork to be reelected in the country's upcoming 2024 presidential election in February. Bukele, a Bitcoin advocate, received strong support from the public on October the 26th after he was officially nominated by his party to run for re-election. Quote, five more years, five more and not one step back, Bukele said in a speech in front of thousands of Salvadorans. Quote, we need five years to continue improving our country, he added. Bukele rose to power in 2019 when his political party, Nueva Ideas, broke three decades, three decades of two-party dominance between the Nationalist Republican Alliance and the Farabundo Marti National Liberation Front. However, despite his popularity among the local population, Critics such as Salvadoran lawyer Alfonso Fajardo maintain that the country's constitution prohibits Bukele from seeking a second consecutive term. Quote, today is a good day to remember that immediate presidential reelection is prohibited up to seven times by the constitution, he said on October the 26th. Quote, Nayib Bukele is running for re-election in El Salvador, despite the fact that it's prohibited in seven articles of the Constitution. The Constitution drafted after our peace accords, after our bloody civil war. This is unconstitutional. However, in September of 2021, El Salvador's Supreme Court ruled that presidents can run for consecutive elections. New Ideas is backed by 70% of the country's voting population, according to Reuters, which cited a study by a Salvadoran university. Its closest competitor only received 4% of the total votes. One of New Ideas' competitors, the FMNLB, filed a lawsuit in June of 2021, claiming that Bukele's Bitcoin adoption program is unconstitutional as well. However, That complaint made little ground as Bukele and El Salvador made Bitcoin legal tender just three months later in September of 2021. The Bukele government has also implemented other tech-friendly policies aimed at strengthening the country's economy, such as eliminating all taxes on technological innovations. Gabor Gerbax, a strategy advisor at Van Eck, recently said that El Salvador has the potential to become the Singapore of the Americas. Much of Bukele's popularity comes from his heavy-handed crackdown against MS-13, a multinational gang that contributed towards El Salvador recording the highest homicide rates in the world just six years ago. As a result of the crackdown, El Salvador's homicide rate has fallen a staggering 92.6% from its peak of 106 per every 100,000 inhabitants in 2015 to 78 per 100,000 in 2022. It now boasts one of the lowest crime rates in Latin America. However, the United Nations and other critics argue El Salvador breached human rights laws by imprisoning 65,000 people without affording them legal rights to defend themselves. El Salvador's presidential elections will take place on February the 4th, 2024. So it's coming up actually quicker than anybody actually thinks. Now, here's what was not said in that article. Is it the case that Nayib Bukele has indeed stepped down as president as per the rules and regulations 
for a president to seek a second term in El Salvador. He's supposed to basically step down for like this next six months. And I can't find, I'm going to search one more time. Bukele steps down just to see if there's any news whatsoever. Uh, That was, let's see, news, news. Let's see, I'm just looking at, uh, now the last thing anybody has said about him stepping down was uh, about six days ago, Bitcoin Magazine, and I read you the article, uh, Bukele likely to step down as president to seek a second term. And that's where I outlined basically the, the, the situation where, according to, I guess, the Supreme Court in El Salvador, when they said that you can run for a second term, they also said, but you cannot act as president and actively campaign for a second term at the same time, which means that you have to either not run as president and just take your five years and then go away and maybe run again some other day, or you step down as president for six months while you conduct your campaign, which I actually think is a really good idea. It's just what damage could an interim president actually do at during that period of time. Now, here's the... Ah, here's the thing about the this this lawyer that's saying that in seven articles in the El Salvadoran Constitution that it's n- impossible for somebody to seek immediate reelection. All right, so that means I guess that means that in the Constitution you can seek a second term, but they have to be non-consecutive terms. But I don't know because I'm not an El Salvadoran constitutional. Lawyer, I just I'm not a professional on on that kind of thing. I can conjecture, though. I have a right to conjecture if I so choose, and I so choose to conjecture at this point right now. So let the conjecture begin. If it is in fact true that in seven separate articles of the El Salvadoran Constitution that you are not allowed to run for re-election consecutively, then we have to look towards the El Salvador Supreme Court and whether or not they overstep their boundaries on allowing this thing to occur. Because here's the bad thing. I, For all the intents and purposes, I like Naib Bukele. All right? I haven't seen him do anything that is, you know, that is, I don't know, bad for El Salvador. I have questions about his actions and the way he went about crushing MS-13. But I'm not shedding any tears about it either. But that's a problem, isn't it? Because if, if I'm if i like, yeah, go go for it, then at one point or another, you know, if I was an El Salvadoran citizen, if that kind of precedent could backfire horribly. And just like that, the El, the, the El Salvadoran Supreme Court, if they've mandated something that is... <sighs> unconstitutional not once but seven separate times in the constitution and that's not a lie well then you've got some serious problems you've set a precedent none of this is easy see this is this is the pro the, well not the problem this is welcome to checks and balances welcome to checks and balances i so we're we're stuck in between a rock and a hard place because if you think, and, and I said this, I think on Thursday's show, if you think that there isn't a gaggle 
of the worst sort of humanity waiting in the wings to take over Nayib Bukele's spot and undo everything that he's done, you're fooling yourself. Is it necessarily because they're evil? No. Well, yeah, probably. This more more about greed, though. They're funded by IMF, World Bank, European Central Bank. You know, the, the usual cast of characters that want to destroy the world all the time. You know, the, the Bond villains and whatever. They're, they're funding every single person to run for president in every single country, whether prime minister, president, whoever's got the reins of control, the head dude or head chick. Their election campaigns are always going to be funded by those that seek to control the world. And that's the World Bank, the IMF, the United Nations, European Central Bank. That's At that point, that's pretty much it. That's all you really need. And they will try to put, put somebody in Nayib Bukele's place in El Salvador that essentially undoes almost everything that he's done. And again, forget about the whole Bitcoin issue. They will put those gangs back out on the street. They will. If, if he loses this election, the next guy will most likely be funded by IMF and he will declare everything that Naib Bukele did unconstitutional and he will let MS-13 and 65,000 people out in the streets. And I don't even know how the hell they're housing 65,000. So I think that number may be overblown because I, I don't see El Salvador having the prison infrastructure for 65,000 individuals, but I'll leave that alone. They will let whoever it is that is in prison back out and they will go right back to doing everything that they were doing. And one of the things that they are able to do for the government is to keep the citizenry fucking terrified because as long as the citizenry is distracted by fear, then these idiots can do whatever the hell that they want. And what do they want to do? Whatever the IMF and the World Bank tells them to. Now, I mean, all of this is important. All of it's important because it's all about money, right? Well, what kind of money do we have? You know, we we talk about fiat a lot, but Bitcoin Magazine has a article here written about commodity money, specifically the entitled or the, the title is, What is Commodity Money? I don't know. Let's find out because we've been working from the premise of commodity money into fiat for the last 150 years, if not way longer than that. We need to know the enemy that we're dealing with. Commodity money is a form of money that derives an intrinsic value from its underlying commodity and the supply and demand dynamics. Gold and silver have been accepted as commodity money for centuries because of their scarcity and desirability. Commodity money has some inherent limitations, such as the challenge of transportation and storage of larger quantities. This physical challenge is one of the primary reasons why it was replaced by more flexible solutions like representative and fiat money. Commodity money is in contrast to representative money and fiat money. Representative money has no intrinsic value, but represents something of value, such as gold or silver, for which it can be exchanged. Fiat money derives its value from the trust in the government that has established it as money. A commodity money or monetary system has 
historically used a form of currency where its physical substance holds value. Its origin dates back to ancient civilizations where trade and barter were commonplace. In early human societies, people often relied on barter to conduct trade. However, due to barter limitations such as the double coincidence of once, meaning that both parties had to desire what the other party had to offer, people began to use certain commodities with intrinsic value as a medium of exchange to facilitate trade. Different civilizations worldwide adopted various commodities as a form of currency based on their availability and desirability. For example, barley was commonly used as a medium of exchange in ancient Mesopotamia. In ancient Egypt, grain, cattle, and precious metals like gold and silver served as commodity money. Cowrie shells were used as currency in various parts of Africa, Asia, as well as the Pacific Islands. Salt was used as money in certain societies due to its importance as a food preservative. As civilizations advanced and developed more sophisticated economies, the use of commodity money evolved. Precious metals such as gold and silver gained prominence due to their durability, divisibility, and scarcity attributes. These metals could be minted into standardized coins, which made them more convenient to use as a currency. While the use of traditional commodity currency is largely diminished in modern economies, its historical significance is undeniable. It laid the foundation for the development of monetary systems and the concept of money as a medium of exchange, a store of value, and a unit of account. Here are the most significant characteristics of commodity money. First, durability. Like metals, is Commodity money is typically very durable, ensuring that it can withstand wear and tear over time. It cannot be applied to other commodities like seashells or grain, but this characteristic is essential to maintain the value and integrity of the currency. It's universally acceptable. Commodity money is generally widely accepted within a society or among trading partners. Individuals recognize and value it as a medium of exchange for goods and services. The underlying commodity is also relatively scarce or limited in supply. Scarcity enhances the currency's value as it is not readily available in abundance. Recognizability. Uh, Well, this money should be easily recognizable and distinguishable to ensure authenticity and prevent counterfeiting. This characteristic promotes trust and acceptance among users. A store of value. Due to the inherent value of the underlying item, commodity money can be valuable to store over time as it retains its worth and can be saved or accumulated for future use. Here's some examples. Traditionally, commodities such as gold, silver, salt, shells, and other valuables used as commodity money were chosen as currency because they possessed qualities like durability, divisibility, and scarcity. People recognized their inherent worth and accepted them in exchange for goods and services. Cocoa beans were actually used as commodity money and it began with the Maya, initially used as barter for other commodities such as food, clothes, gems, and even enslaved peoples. They were adopted as a currency when the Aztecs became the most advanced nation in Central America and overtook the Maya. Seashells. They have served as commodity money, particularly in parts of Africa, Asia, and the Pacific Islands. Their unique shape, scarcity, and cultural significance 
made them highly desirable as a medium of exchange. The Rye Stones of Yap Large circular stone discs used as currency on the island of Yap in Micronesia. These stones, which had a significant size and weight, yeah, these things are freaking like the size of a Volkswagen, were valued for their scarcity and historical significance. There was also glass beads that were used. And of course, we get to gold. It's been widely used as a form of commodity money across different civilizations and time periods. Silver, similar to gold, has been used as commodity money as well. It's relatively more abundant than gold and has been used in coinage for many societies. And then there's Bitcoin. Unlike traditional commodity money, Bitcoin is not backed by a physical item, but derives its value from supply and demand dynamics and its independence from intermediaries like a government or a central entity. Commodity money is generally perceived as to be stable with intrinsic value due to the valuable and secure underlying items it's made of. However, its lack of flexibility in being divisible and adaptable to changing economic needs makes it impractical for a modern society that works on faster transaction turnarounds and more efficient systems compared to when international trade wasn't on the same scale as today. The inflexibility of commodity money created the need for paper money which surely had the advantage of being more easily manageable, but at the same time, it allowed the system to be more easily manipulated by those who controlled the reserves. Paper money led to a fiat system that could face practical challenges such as storage, transportation, and the security of large quantities of physical commodities. However, Implementing a fiat system also meant removing protection against government manipulation that could be guaranteed by decentralized commodities, leaving the society with more controlling authorities that could often exert their power beyond limits. Over time, as economies grew and became more complex, the limitations of commodity money became apparent. Issues such as the difficulty of transporting large amounts of physical commodities and the fluctuating value of the underlying items led to the development of representative money and then eventually fiat money. Commodity money offers stability as its value is relatively independent of monetary policies or government actions, while fiat money provides flexibility and allows for monetary policy control. However, since it's strictly related and regulated by governments, fiat money has often become a control tool leading to extreme measures such as lowering interest rates or increasing the money supply. While such measures may stimulate the economy, they can also lead to speculative bubbles that can trigger recessions, inflations, and even hyperinflations that are more common in severe and fiat systems. Should there be a return to commodity money? Well, while traditional commodity money is not widely used in modern economies, it does play an essential role in developing monetary systems and the evolution of money to facilitate trade and economic activity. It certainly inspired Satoshi Nakamoto when he created Bitcoin. In 2009, we saw the emergence of a digital asset that is considered a return to commodity money. Bitcoin has all of the most significant properties of both commodity and fiat currencies. It shares scarcity and divisibility with commodity money, and other than a limited supply of a maximum cap of 21 million coins. And like gold, Bitcoin is a bare asset, and its supply is extremely difficult to increase. Similar to fiat, 
Bitcoin can be divided into smaller units, with the smallest being a Satoshi. Combined with unique decentralization and censorship-resistant characteristics, Bitcoin is the most sound, complete, and optimal type of money humanity has ever known. All right, I've got one problem with this entire article. All right. Most of it's just basically some, some good history. If you don't understand where our money has derived from, I'm hoping that that, you know, basically kind of gave you a, an insight into what the hell was going on. But, 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 but there's an issue here. When it goes, there, there's a section here entitled Commodity Money Examples. And that's when we've got the cocoa beans, seashells, rye stones. And then at the very end of that list was Bitcoin. Okay. And it says... Unlike traditional commodity money, Bitcoin is not backed by a physical item, but derives its value from supply and demand dynamics and its independence from intermediaries like government or central entities. They forgot to put it is backed. It's backed by energy. It's not just that it has supply and demand characteristics. It does. It's not also, only that it derives its value from from uh, in, independence from intermediaries like governments and central entities. That those are both true, but when you don't add in that Bitcoin is also what oh, what was it? Um, oh, what was it? Henry Ford and Buckminster Fuller, and I think it's possible that Tesla, Nikolai Tesla, may have also said the same thing that money needs to be backed by energy. That that's the only thing that makes sense. And say what you want about Henry Ford, Buckminster Fuller and Nikolai Tesla. I mean, if those two guys are saying it by themselves without even Ford in the mix, this is probably something that you might want to listen to. And indeed, it is, a, it is the case that Bitcoin is backed not only by supply and demand, not only by independence from central entities. It's backed by energy. And it's not just backed by electrical energy. It's backed by the people who are willing to sacrifice their time on this planet to build mining facilities, to build ASIC chips, to design these new chips, to then manufacture these new chips, to get on the phone to a foundry and say, I'm sending you the PDF or whatever of this new chip design that that our 12 engineers slaved over for 12 months. And we want to give you a shit ton of money to make a whole bunch of these because we're going to sell all of that is energy. All of it. That's all energy. It's not just the electrical, the, the commodity that is electricity running the miners. It's everything that went into building the miner and then buying the miner and then setting the miner up and then loading it with software and then making sure that it doesn't break down. All of that is energy, whether it's energy from the grid, whether it's straight up electricity generated from stranded energy sources, or if it's human endeavor. All of that backs Bitcoin. So they, I think Bitcoin Magazine really missed a huge piece of this particular puzzle. But that's okay because the commodities or the Chicago Mercantile Exchange is coming to the rescue for Bitcoin. It's going gonna, it's gonna to snatch the futures market away from Binance. And I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Personally, I hate the f- Bitcoin futures, but hey, they're a thing. And Prescient Jaw has more about it from Cointelegraph. CME, the Chicago Mercantile Exchange, 
has become the second largest Bitcoin futures exchange as open interest surges. This is actually kind of interesting to me. The Chicago Mercantile Exchange, the CME, a regulated derivatives exchange that does list Bitcoin futures, now stands just behind Binance in terms of notional open interest to rank second in the list of BTC futures exchanges. The CME's open interest hit three Point five billion dollars today, October the 30th, pushing the regulated derivatives exchange platform to jump two positions from the previous week. The CME overtook Bybit and OKX with 2.6 billion and 1.78 billion dollars in, in open interest, respectively, and is just a few million dollars away from Binance's 3.9 billion dollars of open interest in BTC futures. All right, that's all we're going to talk about right there because that's all we need. You've got a legacy financial structure. The Chicago Mercantile Exchange has been around forever. It's over 100 years old at least. At at, at bare minimum, it's over 100 years old. It's all legacy. These are all legacy finance bros. And they've positioned themselves to come in right behind Binance, the crypto bro outfit, the new thing, right? This, is it dangerous? Yes, it is. Am I scared? No, fuck it. I don't give a shit. But it is a dangerous situation because it represents something that you should keep your eye on. There's two things here. One, The legacy financial industry in general is more interested in Bitcoin than you think it is. And two, these guys are well positioned to take out somebody like Binance in open futures interest in Bitcoin. That's kind of a big deal. So I would watch the CME and see what they're going to do in the future. Meanwhile, uh, where are we at here? Uh, Let's see. Do we want to do this one just yet? Yeah, we're not going to do that one. In fact, what we're going to do here is we're going to run the numbers. Welcome to the market piece of the Bitcoin and podcast. This is going to be brought to you by Botev, B-O-T-E-V. No, I, I really don't have a sponsor, but I saw this on Noster and thought I'd read it. Uh, this is a football club, okay? Let's just, let, let's get into this. Exciting news. Botev Football Club is proud to become the first ever football club on Noster. We're We're taking our club's communications to the next level, ensuring transparency and direct engagement. Why Noster? Eh, Just as the beautiful game of football thrives on teamwork and strategy, Noster's nature and philosophy ensures that every user plays a vital role in the network, making communication more open and inclusive. Botev Football Club's philosophy aligns with the Noster ideology. We believe in the power of community, and Noster provides us with a platform where every voice matters and every fan can be part of our journey. Stay tuned for regular updates, behind-the-scenes content, and exclusive insights directly from the team. Moreover, we've got another big announcement coming your way very soon. Additionally, don't miss out on our weekly newsletter where we dive deeper into match analysis, player interviews, and more. The newsletter will be posted on Obla and our official website. Thank you. For your unwavering support, together, let's make history 
and redefine the way football clubs communicate with their fans. So I can't remember exactly where Botev is from, uh, but it's. I just thought that it was interesting that when a lot of people are out there continuously crapping on Noster as a pro, as a protocol because they don't understand that it's a protocol, they think it's some kind of centralized thing. It's not. We have a football club, and they may be small. I don't care. I don't know. I don't watch football or soccer, as the people in the United States will say. Uh, I don't. I don't watch it. I, I the, the only thing that I want to watch is Texas Tech, American football, college football. That's it. That's all I give a shit about. Baseball, eh, basketball. I don't care. Uh, NFL, totally don't give a shit. And the World Cup could literally be. I don't care. I don't care. But I do care when these people come to Noster because there are people that care about their football club. Right? There there's a bunch of them. I'm kind of an outlier when it comes to, you know, sports ball, right? A lot of people love these things. And with a football club that people are their fans are following, then maybe their fans will get on Noster and that will I don't know even if they want to talk about sports, go ahead, man. Talk about anything because we do find ourselves in a bit of an echo chamber around Bitcoin and crypto. We've tried a whole bunch of things to get other, you know, other topics going on, but it's going to be a, it's going to be a slow, it's going to be a long road to hoe as my dad used to, used to say it, but it's good I'm glad to see these people, uh, Botev Football Club, come on board for Noster. I hope more do. Now, energy futures are getting fucking pummeled today, which I'm actually shocked about. I'm actually shocked. Oil, West Texas Intermediate is down to $82.02 after a 4.12% drop. Brent North Sea struggling also $87.40 after a 3.4% drop. Natural gas, $3.15 per thousand after one and three quarters point drop. Gasoline is down three and a half points to $2.23 a gallon. Now I'm going to pause before we get to the rest of it to talk about why it is that I'm a little shocked about this oil thing. Because when Israel rolled into Gaza, I mean, yes, they've been bombing them and, and I get that part. But when they physically rolled over the border, in the first precursors of an actual ground invasion or operations, whatever you want to call it in Gaza, they did it right after the oil futures markets closed on Friday and not a minute before, not a minute before they waited until those markets closed. Now, is it possible it was coincidence? Of course it's possible that it was coincidence, but I call bullshit they were not going to allow a massive oil futures spike in price go through the weekend. So what? So now that they've been pummeling Gaza for like the last two or three days, I figured that yesterday about, I think that the oil markets opened at three o'clock Eastern time on Sundays. They have, I don't know why, but they do. We, I started seeing the, the price of oil go down. And then it's just been down, down, down. And all of that has to do with the fact that this is earnings season, apparently, and a lot of numbers are coming in from inflation and other numbers, employment stuff, and 
whether or not the Fed is going to, you know, what the Fed is going to do with inflate uh, or uh, interest rates. And all of that is kind of ba- basically being mashed together where the oil traders have no clue what the hell's going on. You're saying China's slowing down and that they don't need as much oil and the United States economy is slowing down and we don't need as much oil because all the stuff that depends on oil is stuff that we're not engaging in as much. And I guess that's transportation and manufacturing and all that kind of stuff. So it's a very confusing field out there, but I was completely wrong. I thought oil prices were going to spike like a son of a bitch come Sunday 3 p.m. Eastern Standard or Eastern Daylight Time on the East Coast of the United States. And I was woefully, woefully wrong, which just goes to show you don't always listen to me. Now, gold is up a third of a point, back over 2000 to $2,005.40. Silver is up two and a quarter points to 2339 Platinum is up 3.78%. Copper is up scant. Palladium is up a half. Almost all your agricultural futures are down today, and the biggest loser today is going to be sugar, two and a third to the downside. Lumber is the only thing in the green. It's up almost half a point. We've got live cattle up half point. Lean hogs are up a point and a third. Feeder cattle are up almost a half a point. The Dow is up 1.57%. S&P is up over 1%. The NASDAQ is up almost 1%. And the S&P mini is two-thirds of a point to the upside. Bonds, they cannot get yields under control. Everything is in the green. From the U.S. three-month all the way to the 30-year treasury bond, all of them have gained in yields. The 30-year treasury is now yielding 5.05%. The 20-year is yielding 5.24%. The 10-year is just under 5 at 4.89%. They just can't get this shit to stop. But the DXY is still chilling around 106 After a third of a point drop, it is chilling out 106.16, in fact. And real money bouncing around. It was like 34,600 when I woke up. And now, because we can't have nice things, $34,242. That is with uh, average transaction values of 0.38 BTC and median transaction values of $25, which means ordinals and all that bullshit is is raging it's it's raging right now again for i don't know what these people are trading and god only knows why they want them but apparently people do and if bitcoin can do a thing it's going to do that thing block times are low nine minutes and 28 seconds we've got uh 0.09 btc in uh fees on a per block basis 14.6 in fees overall in the last 24 hours with a 6.2% drop in hash rate. We're chilling out at 439.3 exahashes per second. Dogecoin, your shitcoin indicator is 6.8 United States pennies, which is exactly where it was when Bitcoin was (laughs) $25,000. Telling you, man, get rid of, get rid of it. Get rid of it. If you don't, if you want to donate it, I don't give a shit. Stop playing around with shit coinery. Now, $669.6 billion of market cap is just a hair over 5% of gold's market cap. And you may purchase 17.3 ounces of shiny metal rocks with your one Bitcoin, of which there are 19,528,236.7 of. 
5,270 and a half of those are in the Lightning Network, now valued at $180.8 million. It's actually getting up there, guys. 14,566 nodes that we can see, sporting 62,887 payment channels that we know about, and 82.7% of all that shit's being run over Tor. Mempools getting up there. About 130, 132 blocks are carrying 41,000 transactions waiting to clear with transaction prices of 17 Satoshis per V-Byte for high priority, 14 Satoshis per V-Byte, low priority, and anything under 2.4 is being purged from mempools around the world. Now, mempool.space is saying 494 exahashes per second for hash rate. Split the difference. Let's just call it 480 exahashes per second. And we'll just be done with that. Now, uh, do, 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 do. Oh, yeah. I am well out of the top 10 on fountain charts, but that's okay because I still got friends like the Wild Hustle with 1500 sats. Says great pod as usual. Got me fired up towards the end. Uh, maybe I didn't need to do more of that, I think. A little bit. Maybe I should. I've been trying to not be so ranty. But apparently people like it. I don't know. Uh, Dubrovko with 1240. Time sensitive cases. Don't know what that means. Black card biz. Uh, 1021 says hashtag all sats matter at allsatsmatter.com. Axelrod with a thousand Satoshi says freedom fighter. Amazing to see the values I feel represent this country embedded in code that is spreading from the bottom up. A true technology, societal, economic, and political revolution. What a time to be alive. I agree. O2ZX with 815 says, with you on, hold on, with you on S.AM, looking like one of the most sane geographic areas if they can stay sovereign. Was listening to Guatemala's open timestamp voting. Damn, do they have it right. If they can pull it off, then yes, they definitely have it right. They're O2ZX. George X McKee with 666 Satoshi says, should we get fitted for our thorn of crowns now before they sell out? <laughs> Who knows, dude? We may all be on the cross at one point or another. God's death at 370 says, great one, Dave. Thank you, sir. No, thank you. Uh, Chaos Chicken with 105 says, I'm pretty tech averse and trying to learn BTC lightning. Increase my privacy. Nostra clients and their uses, etc., is overwhelming at times. Any solid resources for breaking shit down like I'm five that you know of? Hold on to that thought. Pies with 100 says, thank you, sir. No, thank you. All right. Chaos chicken. Yes, there are plenty of these things around, but they're all over the place. So I think maybe we should look at it like this. You don't have to learn all the things all at once from one single place. In fact, that last part, the one single place, I highly recommend that you don't do that. And I know that sounds very counterintuitive, but you do not want to get all of your information from a single person or group of individuals, right? You want to, you want to spread it around. I would, I would recommend listening to, you know, like I I give you the news, but for like the freedom tech stuff, Matt Odell is always a good choice. BTC sessions has really, really good tutorials on how to use like stuff like cold card and whatnot like that. Um, there it's, it's a fight. 
All right. And, and understand that anything that matters is going to take a while. It's going to take some energy from the people that truly want to figure this stuff out. It's okay if it takes a while. You're not going to be bludgeoned to death if you don't understand all of this by the time you wake up tomorrow a.m., right? You'll be fine. The problem that, that, and I hear you, I, I understand you just want a central repository. I get it. And uh, the Mises Institute for Economics is a good place to go. Uh, the Nakamoto Institute, or yeah, yeah, Nakamoto Institute is also really very good. But no matter how you slice any of this up, this is going to take a while. If you're starting from scratch or just a little bit above scratch, it's going to take a while. And it depends on how important is it for you to get this stuff. It's important to me, which is why I've devoted the last five years of my life and a little bit longer than that to doing pretty much nothing but eat, eating, sleeping, and breathing Bitcoin and Lightning Network and now Noster. All right. These, if you really want to know how I would go about it if I were you, I would hold those three things in my head and say Bitcoin, Lightning Network, and Noster. And then deep, deep dive into each one of those things. And just don't don't like don't go all into Bitcoin, you know, just all at once and then come out and then go into Lightning Network. Just jump from topic to topic because they're all interrelated, whether you know it or not. And with that said, that's going to do it for the weather report. Welcome to part two of the news that you can use. This section of the show brought to you by Noster. Social media. It's owned by car makers, reptilians, and communists. And when they're not harvesting your personal data for governments and corporations, they're bombarding you with constant bull that you probably don't care about anyways. But now there's a new uncensorable social media network in town and it is so good that even Jack Dorsey is ditching Twitter or X for it. Noster, short for notes and other stuff transmitted by relays, is the world's first successful decentralized social network. That means no ads, no algorithm, and no reminders of that shitty work party from 10 years ago. You actually create and own your own social media data. And the way that you interact with that data is fully yours to choose. Want it to look like Twitter? get an app or client called Damus. Like the layout of Instagram better? Try Nostagram. And when it comes to spam or misinformation, you control what to filter out or block via the relay or client rather than have biased corporations or the state do it on your behalf. And while it's still early days for Noster, wouldn't you rather be early to it than late? I am early to it. I am not late to it. And I am happy about that. Thank you, Julian Figueroa, I think is how you pronounce his name. He is the gentleman that has brought to you this particular Nostra commercial. There's a whole video on it, which I didn't show. I It's okay. Most of the people actually listen to this on audio only, so I'm not going to shed any tears. Uh, <clears throat> but this one, this note that uh, Julian put up on Nostra with this commercial garnered 80,000 Satoshis. It's actually a chunk. That's actually a pretty decent chunk of change for a single note. That, I mean, it's a, he, he has a very, very well done 
audio slash video production. He's done it like a commercial for Noster. We kind of need more of these, which is why I'm bringing it to you, which is why Julian is basically sponsoring this section of the show. Well, he, okay. I, nobody sponsors me. I like to pretend sometimes. And Julian had such a good, well-crafted production here that I, I had to, I had to, there was no, I had no choice. I had to bring it to you, but now we are back into the news with financial freedom and the fight against censorship. Susie Ward is writing this one for Bitcoin magazine, the atmosphere at Bitcoin Amsterdam organized by Bitcoin magazine starkly contrasted with the real guts and heart of the movement headlined by Edward Snowden and Stella Assange. Both lives have been profoundly impacted by the struggle against censorship. This isn't to diminish the buzzing hope and optimism of the conference with over 2,000 attendees. Rather, it amplified the urgency and gravitas that these key figures bring to the broader conversation on financial and informational freedom. Hosted in the culturally vibrant West Park, a historic gas factory turned into an artistic hub, the conference was a masterstroke of planning and technology. The tone for the event was set by an initial panel discussion questioning the readiness of Bitcoin to meet global financial challenges. This led to a charged debate on central bank digital currencies, highlighting their potential to further erode financial privacy and freedom. The common theme in these discussions was the observation that Bitcoin serves not just as a financial asset, but also as a peaceful protest against the fractured financial system. This sentiment laid the groundwork for the keynotes that followed, particularly focusing on the theme of censorship. Edward Snowden, appearing in a video link from Russia, captivated the audience with his insights into the need for decentralized systems. Snowden, who exposed widespread government surveillance, emphasized that existing structures aren't merely flawed, but are indeed designed to exploit. His call for decentralized permissionless systems was a rallying cry against a world increasingly leaning towards authoritarianism. Stella Assange amplified this message and spoke out about the insidious nature of reality manipulation by powerful organizations. As the wife of Julian Assange, another whistleblower who remains captive, Stella's words held immense weight. She cautioned that the quest for financial sovereignty couldn't be separated from the broader struggle for truth and freedom. Further discussions included the uneasy relationship between traditional banks and Bitcoin. Panelists dissected the bank's reticence to accept Bitcoin as an alternative form of finance, attributing it to their love for inflatable fiat currencies, fear of competition, and the risk posed by Bitcoin to their monopoly over financial systems, particularly through its ability to serve the unbanked. Adding a philosophical touch to the financial and technological debates were conversations about creating inclusive systems that serve not just a privileged few, but everyone. The recurring theme was that Bitcoin could be a lifeboat in a sea of collapsing traditional structures. Snowden's talk emphasized the urgent need for transformation. Quote, Acting in secret is not freedom. It's not the goal. Contorting yourself to be able to fit to pass through the keyholes of the tyranny is an absolute absurdity. Or, uh, sorry, absurdity. It's absurd. It's absurd, he says. His ultimate call to action was a stark reminder of the crossroads we find ourselves at. Quote, we have two options, freedom and happiness or the grave. 
Considering the widening wealth gap decaying trust in institutions and the looming specter of CBDCs, this sentiment resonated deeply. Snowden also discussed Nostra with the audience, a decentralized social network highlighting its potential to counteract censorship and protect freedom of speech. He stressed the need for tools supporting decentralization and finance in all aspects of digital life and asked the audience to build the needed solution, saying, quote, We need to recognize the challenges we face, and there is risk in the solutions we build. The system considers you to be its primary resource. Life isn't valued by our governments. We need to recognize the challenges that we face, and there is risk in building those solutions. We are building tools governments won't like. Bitcoin is one of our strongest levers. End quote. The Bitcoin Amsterdam conference didn't just spotlight the future of new digital forms of finance outside governmental control. It illuminated the path towards greater financial and informational freedom. In a world on edge, plagued by manipulation and the centralization of powers, the insights from Snowden and Assange offered hope. The message was clear. In these times, Bitcoin isn't just an alternative, it's becoming a necessity. And that's the article. And if any of you guys had heard something about Snowden speaking at Bitcoin Amsterdam or something like that, that's what they're essentially talking about is that some of the heaviest hitters in the world for decentralization, informational freedom, informational privacy, they're all saying the same thing. It's Bitcoin and Lightning Network and Nostr. Things have moved very fast since I first started this podcast. When I first started this podcast, Lightning had basically just kind of the, it was still in paper form. And there really wasn't an implementation. It was just an idea. It was a a theoretic. And it didn't take long for the Lightning Network to actually be, you know, be made into a, a real boy. I'm a real boy. And it became so. And then we were jided by Elizabeth Stark for putting real money on the Lightning Network. She called us hashtag reckless, and that was all fun. But now it's grown up. And then all of a sudden, you know, last year we get the first kick-ass clients for Noster. And it didn't, it took like maybe like a, a couple of weeks. Like I got in, like I think it was, I started in on Noster sometime around early November of last year. So I'm coming up on my year anniversary in the Nostra ecosystem. And we went from pasting, you know, copy and paste of lightning invoices to basically just clicking a button on somebody's note and being able to just give them whatever, however many sats that we want to give them. These things all relate to each other. Clearly, Bitcoin relates to the lightning network because of payment channels and the fact that it... You have to do on-chain transactions to get into a channel and to get out of a channel. And then Lightning is related to Bitcoin in that basically the same in the same way. But Lightning now is related directly to Noster because Noster has taken the Lightning network and Lightning invoices and essentially folded it so tightly into a little ball that it can fit inside of its protocol. So that means that now Noster is intrinsically linked to Bitcoin. You now have the trifecta of privacy and financial freedom, as well as informational freedom, freedom of speech, 
It's, it's, a, it's a perfect triangle. And a triangle or a three-pointed stool or pyramids, these are the most stable structures on the face of the planet. They just are. It's the geometry of the triangle is extremely important. I won't get into sacred geometry or anything like that. But just trust me. The three-sided shape known as the triangle and all of its, or the the two-dimensional shape that is a triangle and all of its three-dimensional cousins like a pyramid or a bar stool with three legs, they're all the most stable structures in this existence. And Bitcoin is just as related to the Lightning Network as Noster is related to Bitcoin, as Lightning Network is related to Noster, as Lightning Network is related to Bitcoin. It's equal power. You have an equilateral triangle here. They all have the same space between them. They're all just as interconnected to each other as you could possibly want. And these three tools complete the holy trinity of our future. I'm probably going a little too far on that one because it gets into the whole religious aspect. So I'm going to stop myself and we're going to do the postmortem on the lightning replacement cycling attack. Finally, from Shinobi, he wrote this shit back on October the 24th. He's going to take us through this very scary thing about lightning that honestly is not all that scary, guys. Bitcoin Magazine. So, a lot of noise has been made around the lightning vulnerability recently disclosed by Antoine Riard. Many people are claiming that the sky is falling, that lightning is fundamentally broken. Nothing could be further from the truth. I think part of the problem is that people don't really understand how this vulnerability actually works, firstly. And secondly, many people don't understand how this individual vulnerability overlaps with other known issues on the lightning network that have known solutions. So first, let's, let's go through this and try to understand the vulnerability itself. When a lightning payment is routed across the network, one thing that is key to understand is how the time locks for refunding a failed payment work. The hop closest to the receiver has a time lock of X number of, you know, number of seconds or something like that. And every hop going back to the sender has one of X plus one, X plus two, and so on and so forth. The time locks get progressively longer as you go each hop from the receiver back to the sender. The reason for this is that if a payment reaches the receiver, but some problem stops the pre-image from propagating all the way back to the sender, the hop where it stopped has time to enforce it on chain and put the pre-image there that all preceding hops need to confirm the payment. Otherwise, someone in the middle where the failure happens, could have their outgoing hop claim the funds with the pre-image and the hop that forwarded it to them claim it with their refund path and leave that person in the middle shit out of luck having lost funds. The replacement cycling attack is a complicated way to try and accomplish exactly that undesired outcome. The target node losing money by having the outgoing hop claim the funds with a success transaction and the incoming hop claiming funds through the refund transaction. This necessitates stalling out the victim node and preventing them from seeing the pre-image in the success transaction on one side 
until the time lock expires on the other side so that they can claim the refund there. This requires a very targeted and complicated game of manipulating the victim's mempool. Let's look at the actual transaction structure involved here. You have the commitment transaction, which is the main transaction representing the lightning channel state. It has an output for each side of the channel representing funds completely under the control of one member or the other and outputs for each HTLC hash time lock contract in the process of being routed. These outputs are the ones we are concerned with. Each HTLC output can be spent either immediately at any time with the pre-image from the receiver or after the time lock expires on the refund. The attack requires that a malicious party or two conspiring parties have a channel on both sides of the victim's node routing a payment. So, so Bob, the victim, has a channel with Alice and Carol, the attackers, and payment routed from Carol to Bob to Alice. Now remember the time lock refund path between Alice and Bob will expire and become valid before the refund between Carol and Bob. The attackers route a payment through Bob and then Alice will refuse to send Bob the pre-image to finalize the payment when she receives it. What Bob will do now is wait until the time lock window expires between himself and Alice and go to broadcast the channel commitment transaction and refund transaction to get it confirmed before the time lock window expires. What Alice will do is then go to spend the pre-image transaction to claim the funds with an output unrelated to the channel and right afterwards double spend the second input in the pre-image success transaction. The goal here is to evict Bob's timeout transaction from the mempool, but also evict the pre-image success transaction so that Bob doesn't see it. If he does, he will learn the pre-image and can simply claim the funds in his channel with Carol before her timeout transaction is valid to spend. Alice and Carol have to do this on a consistent basis every time Bob rebroadcasts his timeout transaction with Alice until the block height passes where Carol's timeout transaction is valid. Then they can submit the success transaction on Alice's side and the timeout transaction on Carol's side and leave Bob holding the bag, having lost the value of the payment he was routing. The problem with this is twofold. Firstly, the victim's Bitcoin Core node must be specifically targeted to ensure that at no time does the pre-image success transaction propagate into their mempool where the Lightning node can acquire the pre-image? And secondly, if the second transaction Alice uses to evict the pre-image transaction is confirmed, Alice incurs a cost. Remember, the idea is to replace the timeout transaction with the pre-image so that is evicted from the mempool. Then replace the pre-image transaction with the second one double spending the additional input in the pre-image transaction. That means every time Bob rebroadcasts his timeout transaction, Alice has to pay a higher fee to re-evict it. And when that is confirmed, she actually incurs a cost. So Bob can force Alice to incur a big cost simply by regularly rebroadcasting his timeout transaction with a higher fee, meaning if the payment HTLC output is not worth significantly more than the fees Alice could incur, the attack isn't economically worthwhile to even pull off. It would also be possible to prevent the attack completely by changing how HTLC success and timeout transactions are constructed. 
by using the SIG hash all flag, which means the signature commits to the entirety of the transaction and becomes invalid if the tiniest detail, like adding the new input in the pre-image transaction required for this attack, is changed. This wouldn't work with current versions of Lightning Channels using anchor outputs, but it would solve the issue entirely. Peter Todd has also proposed a new consensus feature that would entirely solve the issue. Essentially a reverse time lock where the transaction would become invalid after a certain time or block height instead of becoming valid after. Going that far, however, is not necessary in my opinion. Simply rebroadcasting your transaction regularly with a slight fee bump is a massive mitigation of the attack. But there are also numerous dynamics that just make it not a serious issue regardless. First, if you aren't a routing node, this isn't really a serious issue at all. So most end users are safe from this attack. Secondly, there are many reasons why nodes do not allow any random person to open channels to them. Large nodes are very selective about who they peer with, as random channels not managed efficiently or professionally have cost in the form of sunk or wasted capital in unused channels. So, any large node that would make a juicy target for this attack is not trivial to even get connected with in the first place, let alone connect to them with multiple channels to pull off the attack in the first place. Lastly, as I've written about in the past, other unrelated attacks possible on the network are already necessitating filters and restrictions in how nodes choose to handle HTLCs they could forward. Uh, For example, limits on the size of payments they will forward how many they will allow at any given time. So even if you can open a channel with a node worth attacking, as the network evolves, there will be more thought through criteria and filters for deciding whether to even forward a payment in the first damn place. Overall, this is a legitimate issue and a real possible attack, both in terms of direct mitigations and how the attack will interact with solutions to other issues over the long term but this is not an unsolvable problem. It is a legitimate issue and dismissing it as pure FUD is not an accurate reaction, but to claim that the sky is falling and that the lightning network as a protocol is doomed is far overblowing the issue. Time will march on, we will run into problems, and we will fix those problems as they come, like we always have. Okay, that's, I know that that, can get confusing on a very technical level. And and I get that. And even this is, this is above my pay grade, right? I read these things to you because if you're somebody who heard that and go, oh, I know the guts of how that shit works now, then that was for you. If you didn't, but caught the fact that this is not a big deal, it's just not. And I agree 100% with Shinobi here it's if we regard this as pure fud we're not doing the lightning network or ourselves or the ecosystem in general a good service we should always be diligent we should always be looking for the attack there's never a reason not to look for the attack we need to con- remain adversarial we used to be so adversarial what could destroy bitcoin what could destroy the lightning network and now when people bring shit up We start screaming, it's FUD, you're FUDing the network, blah, blah, blah. No, no, this is the way we used to be 
in Bitcoin, like all the way back in 20 before, well, actually be well before my time. But when I got in in 2015, all the way past 2017 in the block size wars, all the way till, you know, up until just recently, the great guts and feathers of all the people that have been in Bitcoin that I admire are constantly trying to figure out ways to destroy it because we need to harden this thing up. The lightning network needs to be hardened. Noster needs to be hardened. Bitcoin needs to be hardened. All of them together acting as a functional group of three need to be hardened. And the only way that you can harden these things is to figure out how they're going to break. This is a real attack. It's a real complicated attack. You've got to be active on this thing. And the chances of you being successful are very, very low. The, the fact that you would connect to my node to drain a whole, all of a million sats out of a single channel of mine, good luck. Not that it won't work, but I'm not going to lose sleep. It's a million sats. The people that are worried about this are worried about like huge nodes with multiple Bitcoin in them all getting drained. That's not going to happen. These guys are, like Shinobi said, these guys are very, very particular about who they partner with. I'm not going to just be able to open up a channel to LN Big. I can open up a channel to another pleb and they probably won't see it. I've had people open shit up to me all the time and I just, I'm, have at it, dude. Have at it. We're trying to figure out how the future is going to work and you can't do that unless you're actually doing the thing. But when you're actually learning how to ride a bike, is when you most are likely to fall off the bike and scrape your knee. That's going to do it for the morning roundup. All right, Dad says jokes. Why don't angry witches ride their brooms? Eh, They're afraid of flying off the handle. I, I, I get it. Okay. Uh, that is the, so that is the end of episode 816 of Bitcoin. And on this Monday morning, the day before Halloween and the drop of the Satoshi Nakamoto Bitcoin white paper, uh, I hope all of you guys have parties lined up. Celebrations are in order. We march on ever forward, but always understand that as we march on, we are going to march into problems, but then we will march over those problems because we will figure out a way to build a bridge from one side of the shit creek that we have to cross to the other side of the shit creek that we have to cross, just like we've always done. I've been in the space for years. I've seen these problems. It's a Bitcoin killer. It's a lightning network killer. And well, I'm going to run into Noster killers. I guarantee it. We're going to run into Noster killers. They'll be, they'll be solved. Nobody gives credit to the human endeavor like we should be. Every problem has a solution. It depends on two things. Do you have the tools? And do you have a budget, whether that's financial or just time? If you have, most of the time you can do those, if you have both of those, you're going to solve any problem that you see. Sometimes 
If you just have the tools and just a smidgen of time, not even a whole lot of budget, you can get these things done. We're going to figure this lightning network thing out. Don't worry about it. Does that mean that you forget about it? No. I mean, because we can't learn if we're, if we just forget about it and not watch the solutions come in because they will come in, then you're doing yourself a disservice because you're not learning how a problem got fixed. That's why these problems are so important, even if they aren't an actual lightning network killer, because this one isn't. Fuck a recycling attack. I don't give a shit, but I do care enough about it to continue to watch it. And I'm very interested in the solutions that are going to be proposed because I guarantee you there will be a lot of them. With all that said, I will see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.